Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. And welcome back to Hour 2 of Hardline right here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Brenda Alacy along with you. Joe Beamer is my co-host. And uh, we've had a busy show. Our thanks to Jeremy Zellner and Don Postles in the first hour. And in this hour, we'll talk to Ted Lina, who is a social studies teacher at St. Joseph's Collegiate Institute and the moderator of the annual St. Joe's political debate. And uh, there was a debate on the 21st, just a few days ago, with Nate McMurray, Chris Jacobs, and Duane Whitmer all vying for the NY27 congressional seat. So uh, we'll talk with, uh, with Ted Lina about that in just a moment. And we welcome your calls as well, 803-0930. Our text line is open. It's the same number, 716-803-0930. Uh, Ted Lina, welcome to the show. We appreciate you taking the time to join us this morning. Uh, good morning, Brenda and Joe. Glad to be on. Great to have you on. And from what I understand now, you have been doing this uh, political uh, debate and uh, training of your students for a number of years, since the 80s. What are the biggest changes that have occurred, Ted, over those years, would you say, when it comes to debating? Uh, the biggest... Well, in regard to our preparation, Brenda, or in regard yes, to the candidates? Yes, in preparing your students. Uh, the, the process has become much more involved as we've uh, increased the number of candidates and the positions that are debating at St. Joe's. We've had, we've had pretty much every county executive race since the 80s. Uh, the New York State Senate, uh, three congressional races, uh, sheriff, uh, it, it goes on and on. So it's a very involved process, believe it or not. Uh, myself and one of my colleagues in the history department, Pat McHale, uh, have multiple meetings with the students from my AP government class that are willing to participate in the uh, process. And we give them their homework, and then we meet multiple times to refine, refri- excuse me, to redefine the questions. And being a school, we also want to give context to the questions that are asked. So we don't want to just ask a quick question. We don't presume that anyone knows what a certain concept or issue is. So we always provide a background, and then we form our questions. So it has become uh, more involved, and uh, it's really interesting to see the students' excitement and energy level and how over the course of five or six weeks they get it and they start composing great questions. 
You know, Ted, we talked in the uh, last segment with Don Postles uh, from Channel 4, and he's covered uh, the political scene for a good portion of his career. And uh, one of the things we talked about was the advent of social media and the impact it's had. How has that changed uh, with the young men that you teach? Are they constantly looking at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, et cetera, for questions related to these debates? How much of an impact does it have on their preparation? Uh, uh, the only social media that they use would be going into the candidates' websites. That's it. Mm-hmm. And then we look at issues that would be relevant to, say, a county executive or a state legislator, or in this case, the House of Representatives. So there's some teaching on our part, and uh, then we start to construct the questions. So we might say, for example, we need something on foreign policy or the bills, uh, uh, stadium and the renewal, and so on and so forth. So social media, other than the candidate's prior positions or website, is not an issue. And we don't look to other debates because we want to be unique and we want to ask questions that are going to be pertinent to the student body. And as I've said before, uh, every student in that building in the next four years will be a voter. And they remember the debates. And as I mentioned, I think, earlier this week, there's millions of new 18-year-old voters. I believe it's 15 million. And how they're going to vote is going to be significant. Ted, with uh, you know, with all the restrictions because of COVID nineteen, how would you say the NY twenty seven debate went this year? I was pleasantly surprised with it. I didn't really know what to expect, Joe. And as soon as we had, I had a meeting with the administration, uh, and we we had several meetings regarding the school community and they told me immediately there's no reason we can't have our debate we're going to follow all the precautions that are necessary and i was so so pleased with what was done i feel very comfortable in the building and you know we limited our gym to on 80 people and we had uh, social distancing i asked the candidates to wear their masks when they were not speaking and then to put them back on when the questions were being asked or rebuttals. And they followed the rules beautifully. And the students, if you've seen any of the images, they were all socially distanced as well. And I really believe it was one of our better debates. It's the first time in over 30 years that at the end of the debate I commented. And I simply said, what a wonderful exchange of ideas. When I got to my classroom... The students were so energized. And believe it or not, kids are not uh, responding to cheap shots, character assassination. They're actually listening to what is being said. And when I brought up issues in class, they were paying very close attention and had very interesting insights regarding all of the candidates. Two questions about that, Ted. Uh, I noticed that you had Dwayne Whitmer, the Libertarian candidate, uh, as part of the uh, debate. Yeah. Uh, why did Why did you include him? And secondly, who do you think won the debate? Uh, Whitmer was invited because he was on the ballot as a minor party candidate, and we did that before in 2018, where we also invited the minor party candidate. Uh, but of course, Congressman Collins didn't come, so it was with Nate McMurray and uh, the minor party candidate. And believe it or not, we got tremendous coverage from that 
I was even interviewed uh, by the New York Post, and they ran an article on our 2018 debate. In regard to who I thought won the debate, I am not qualified, or should I comment on that? We are strictly nonpartisan. And secondly, I cannot pay close attention to the answers that they're giving because I have to keep track of moderating the debate, which is a little bit more difficult than most people would think, especially with three candidates, because, you know, we have our direct questions and then we had a rebuttal, rebuttal. And then who gets the next question? One year I did start listening and I made a mistake. And I think it was in a county executive race. And whoever it was said, Mr. Lane, I think I'm the next one with the direct question. So I can't listen closely to what's being said. Obviously, some of it I hear, but a lot of it I don't. And the students tell me a lot when I get back to the classroom. And I guess that's a good way for you to know what they're absorbing as well. Exactly. And there's no problem with that because they're so into politics. I will say that's been a change. Uh, over the last few years, the students are more and more political. They are more and more aware. Actually, last year, one of the students uh, that was our uh, uh, was on the debate team, I asked him what made him want to do this, and it was our valedictorian. And he said, Mr. Lino, when I was a freshman and watched the debate, I said, I want to be up there and I want to do a debate. And that really surprised me that a kid 14 or 15 years old would be that interested in politics at that age. I know I wasn't at 14 years old. Right. We had other things in our mind at that time. Right. Um, Ted, uh, speaking of debate moderators, what was your opinion of Kristen Welker uh, as she handled the last debate between President Trump and Vice President Biden? I, I didn't know what to expect because we all know the political leanings of those that have been moderating the presidential debates, which is unfortunate. However, when you compare her to the other debates, it was very well done. Savannah Guthrie was debating the president. The moderator should be like an official on a football field, invisible. You are not there to debate the candidate. You're there to moderate it, ask questions, and if they don't answer the question, then ask a follow-up question. I'm not voting for a moderator. You have no power or authority. I want to hear what the candidates say. I get so upset watching these debates when the moderator leaves the moderator position and they start being a debater. And in the case of the most recent uh, debate, it was very well done. You could certainly find a few spots where there would have been issues. But overall, I give her extremely high marks. And it's very hard to do what she did, ask the questions, ask follow-up questions, and try to keep both candidates in line. Right, especially in this campaign. And um, I noticed that even President Trump praised Kristen Welker during the course of the debate about that she was doing a good job about being fair. That surprised me. Yes, I, me too. And when he said that, he had a big smile on his face because I don't think he expected that tone. And that was the other thing. She didn't wear her emotions on her shirt sleeve. And she was very even keel for both candidates. What did you think of the candidates in this debate compared to the first one? Now, I know the bar had set, been set pretty low after debate number one, but how do you think they recovered on Thursday? It was a lot better, Joe, because 
we actually got to hear what they thought about issues on immigration and the COVID crises and uh, uh, taxation and one thing and fracking and so on and so forth. Uh, in the other debate, it was so distracting because I think people, all they could remember or hear were the personal insults talking over one another. And it was a total waste of time. The only reason I continued to watch it was because as a teacher, I wanted to watch the whole debate. But by about quarter to 10, 10 o'clock, it was really getting to me. And I'm thinking to myself, how could this be allowed for the highest position in the world? I was just so disappointed. And when I came to school the next day, that was the universal perception as well. It bothers me that even with that debate, you have people that try to spin who won. And I think you have to put politics aside, look at issues, not personality. And that's what you have to base on, base your vote on. But uh, wouldn't you say, Ted, that everything is politicized these days, you know, from masks on, on, you know, on, on down? News is extremely political. And it's a shame that we do not have reporters like we used to have many years ago. It's just very disappointing. The one positive thing is the energy among the electorate is outstanding. I don't ever remember lines to vote in Buffalo for two hours. And the early voting is a record. And if, if there's any positives, it's that people are starting now to pay attention and they're voting. On the negative side, the polarization is very extreme where there's almost hatred on the extreme left and the extreme right. After every presidential election, I say the same thing to my students. I, I will tell them I did or did not vote for this candidate, but they are the winner. They're our president. And let's pray for their success, because when they succeed, we succeed. That's gone. Not from me, from the electorate. And that's very disappointing. Well, I, I wish more people felt like you. Um, in the broad sense, uh, Ted, I, I want to talk to you what the keys are to a good debate. What do you tell your students about debating fairly? What are some of those key elements? Well, first of all, from our perspective, we never want to ask gotcha questions. We want questions with merit. And in regard to what candidates are saying, uh, we want them, number one, to answer the question. And sometimes I will re-ask a question, and I've done that a few times. And if they still don't answer it, it just uh, alerts everyone that the candidate skipped that question, and the students always look for that. The second thing is never attack the person. Attack the argument. As soon as you take a cheap shot at a person or personality, you've lost that point because you're not countering their argument with a counter-argument. So that's what they look for. And if you don't do that, uh, the students see right through it, and they, they come to class and they go, Mr. Lina, this candidate said this. I couldn't believe it. And so that's what we look for. Answer the question and counter the argument with an argument. And well, who would, have, who would have ever thought, Ted, that you know, you'd have uh, the, in the first debate with Trump and uh, Biden talking about ad hominem attacks. I mean, 
they were going at each other pretty well. And come on, man, and you're a clown, is what Biden would say. And Trump calling him Sleepy Joe. I mean, do you have to go into your class the next day and say, look, guys, this is not the way to conduct yourself during a debate, even though these are our two presidential candidates? No, not at all. They already knew it. They already knew it, Brenda. And uh, I was so glad to see that. And even though they're 17 and 18 years old, they get it. And I give them a lot of credit for being so in tune with what's going on and being able to differentiate between a good answer and a poor answer. It's really, as a teacher for many years, it's just a wonderful experience for me to see that a high school is able in this community to conduct debates at this level. And then I'm very grateful for the coverage that we get from both the broadcast and the print media. Ted, let me ask you, um, you know, you see some reoccurring candidates. You know, Nate McMurray has now participated a few times. Do you notice a candidate's debate skills get better with every debate they do? And where do they improve when you do notice that? That's a a good point. Uh, We've had a number of candidates uh, debate multiple times. Mark Polenkars would be an example, our sheriff, uh, Dennis Gorski. Uh, Jimmy Griffin was at St. Joe's, and normally they're pretty much the same. Uh, Their personalities and their ability to debate don't change that much. And some are obviously more comfortable than others. Uh, We've had some candidates there that I expected a lot more from than was delivered. And most of the men and women that have come to St. Joe's present themselves very well, and they're very articulate. And they don't talk down to the students. They talk to the students, and that's appreciated. Uh, It's interesting that you mentioned Poland Cars, Jacobs, McMurray, uh, Ted, because they are all attorneys. And, uh, you know, you certainly learn how to debate in law school. How much of an advantage do they give a candidate? A few of them are attorneys, and, and Dennis Gorski as well. Right. How much of an advantage does that give them in a debate? Do you, do you notice an advantage? I don't, I, I don't know if it would be based on necessarily a law school education. I think what's more important is that a lot of the people that debate are running for higher-level positions, and they have had experience debating in the past. Certainly, when you're running for county executive, you know, people generally come from the clerk's office or people have held county legislative positions and so on and so forth. Uh, I've had a former student debate at St. Joe's, and uh, he was pretty good as well. And that would have been uh, Senator Tim Kennedy. He debated at St. Joe's, but he was a county legislator before coming uh, to debate at Joe's. And now, uh, here it is, you know, the end of October. Are you looking ahead, say, a year from now about who possibly may be on the debate stage, or is it way too early for you? Well, I brought it up last week, and I'm not sure what all of the offices are up yet. We always try to pick the most interesting uh, campaign, so it's a little early for that. So I'm still focused on the upcoming presidential election. And uh, I'm still working on that. And I found it interesting that in uh, in the last debate, one of the questions that was brought up was one of my homework questions that's due this coming week. And I, they laughed when I said that. And I asked them to write about health care. Is it a privilege or is it a right? 
So it'll be interesting to see what the students say in regard to the question that was asked in the presidential debate this week. It's for sure. Well, uh, you know, I, I give you kudos, uh, Ted, for doing this because I think when you're at a grassroots level like that, it really encourages us to, to us to think more analytically and to really understand the issues of the day. And so happy to hear that these young men are politically involved and uh, getting integrated into the system. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much and have a wonderful day. And Joe, thank you. And Joe, my husband, Dan Lockie, is a proud uh, St. Joe's alum, a, a marauder at heart. So uh, they do uh, great work there. We have so many quality schools in this area. And uh, I think what Ted Lina does year in and year out is really admirable. It's always great and always great to see the uh, candidates come together most of the time uh, for those debates. And as you mentioned, can't wait to see who is on that debate stage next year. Coming up next for us... Buffalo native Dave Leventhal will talk about everything going on in D.C. because, you know, uh, Brenda, I'm noticing one thing. There's way too many polls. <laughs> way too many polls. I just saw a poll that has Trump up three in Michigan and then 10 seconds later saw one that has him down 12 in Michigan. They're all over the place. I want to talk about that. We want to talk about what's going on with Senate, with Congress, with the White House. There is, a, there is an election, as Brenda said, nine days away. And yes, we'll ask Dave what he thinks about the bill's chances as well. One segment to go on Sunday's Fastest Two Hours. It's Hardline on WBEN. Welcome back. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer and Brenda Alacy with you for 24 more minutes. And then, yes, it's time to pregame the Bills game, which should be a win. But hey, I don't want to take anything, uh, I don't want to be too confident about anything right now. Joining us for the final segment is someone who can share in our lacking confidence in the Bills, and that is Mr. Dave Leventhal. Dave, good morning. Good morning to you, Joe. I got to ask you, before we get into politics, what do you think of the Bills game today? I mean, look, if we don't win by two touchdowns at minimum, then something is colossally wrong with the Bills. So let's get ourselves back on track. Let's win this game. Let's go to five and two. And, and let's, uh, let's feel good about that, what's going on on Sunday. I like yes, that. Uh, Jeremy, uh, Jeremy White from our sister station, WGR, Dave, said uh, a moment ago on Twitter that the Bills are undefeated on Sundays, and he's predicting a big Bills win. So I like that idea. Let's, uh, let's keep that Sunday streak going. 
But Dave, Joe and I have this sort of feeling of doom and gloom, but it's probably because we've been long-suffering Bills fans for so long. Uh, and it feels like it would, it would be a Billsy thing to do to lose to the hapless Jets. But let's hope, uh, you know, let's hope everybody's who's feeling optimistic is correct. Well, I mean, you wouldn't be a red-blooded Bills fan if you didn't feel some sense of doom and gloom pretty much at return, particularly <laughs> after the past 20 years. But, yeah, you know, <laughs> Colonel and uh, go Bills Mafia. I mean, there's a lot to feel good about with this team. Now, speaking, right speaking of things to feel good about and positive thoughts, let's talk about politics. Um, and, and first off, Dave, you know, last week we talked polls with our 1130 guest, and I'd like to start talking polls with you uh, this time around. There's way too many polls. I mean, can we have some kind of legislation to ban, like, more than three polls? You're, you're making me laugh. Uh, you know, in, in the uh, marketplace of ideas that we have in this country, and, and the First Amendment being what it is, uh, I, I don't think you're going to get your wish, Joe. But, you know, let's put it this way. There are polls, and then there are polls. Uh, there are some that are focused on the national scene. There are some that are focused on swing states. And it, it's one thing to just look at a poll and say, oh, well, Joe Biden's up and Donald Trump's down or whatever the case may be. But I, I think as a consumer of news, as somebody who's interested in the political race, it, it's incumbent on people to actually pay attention and, and look down, bore down to that second or third level as to what the polls are talking about. Here's one thing that I do want people to pay attention to, and I think it's a, a kind of poll or, or you know, a rating uh, per se that doesn't get a lot of attention. And, and that is the job approval rate of sitting presidents who are running for reelection. And I bring this up for one reason. It's because Donald Trump right now is smack dab in the middle of presidents who, going into a second term or a potential second term, uh, have, have a job approval rating that's so-so. Jimmy Carter and George H.W. Bush, back in the day, they had low 30, you know, 30 percentages job approval ratings. They both lost. George W. Bush and Barack Obama were around the 50 percent mark, and they won going into a second term. Again, Donald Trump is right in the middle of the winners and the losers there, and I think that's indicative of kind of where he's at right now. He's not completely out of this, although things are not looking great. Dave, uh, what about the rallies he continues to hold? And, and so many people have no masks on. And yet, you know, there's people who say you don't need them. The politicians who say you do and then appear without them are hypocrites. Now we have the story today about Mike Pence's inner circle uh, with an outbreak of COVID within the inner circle. And Pence is going to continue to campaign per CDC guidelines. Does it just make your head spin after a while about this whole mask issue? Look, I've never understood the mask issue. It's uh, it's a scientific fact proven that it can help reduce the spread of COVID-19. So if you want to be part of the solution and not part of the problem, when you're out around people and you're going to be in close proximity, wear a mask. Uh, that's a rally. That's a football game. That, that's anything. So I, I, I've never seen this in, as a political statement, although it obviously has become just that. If you're going to, you know, hopefully uh, try to, again, be part of the solution of down. It, it seems like a small act and, uh, and, and something that uh, is a very reasonable thing to do to help keep yourself safe and help keep, to, uh, help keep other people safe uh, as well. For the record, I do think most people at the Trump rallies, or at least the one that I was at, uh, are wearing masks. But again, uh, we, sh we should all be wearing a mask. I, I, I don't think it should be political. You know, in 2020, 
where everything's political, can we make a mask not political? Like, if you want to put your candidate's name on the mask, okay, that would make it political. But just put a mask on. It's not that difficult. That's just my PSA for the uh, half hour. I'm with you. You know, I've got my Buffalo Bills uh, Zubas mask, and I wear it proudly for where I go. And, you know, it's just a a thing that uh, people don't like to be told, hey, you got to do this. You, you need to do this. It's a requirement. I mean, who really likes to be told by the government, by politicians, by by public officials what, what they need to do? But if, by the same token, too, if it can help your family, if it can help your neighbors, look at it in that context. And uh, I think it's a relatively easy thing to do. And, you know, I'd like to road trip again sometime soon. So if we could just put our masks on and slow the spread, I'd be I'd be very happy about that. Uh, Dave, let me ask you, you know, we're all focusing on the presidential election, right? I mean, that's where all the focus is. But there is Senate up for grabs this time around as well. How is that looking? And what are the states and seats we should be keeping an eye on? Yeah, well, you know, the presidential race, it obviously has the effect of sucking so much of the oxygen out of uh, the political conversation, and and rightfully so. But the U.S. Senate is a huge battle here, and we've got some incredibly tight races in South Carolina, in North Carolina, in Arizona, in Montana. uh, And and it's to the point right now where I I think it's a true toss-up, whether the Senate is retained by Republicans or whether the Senate goes the way of Democrats. Democrats are certainly going to have to make up some uh, some definite ground because they are the minority in the U.S. Senate right now. But it's very plausible, and it could even be likely by the time we have Election Day come around on November 3rd that the Democrats could be in the catbird seat. So that is going to truly be a, a, a you know down-to-the-wire type of race, uh, maybe in, in a way that even the presidential race uh, isn't. Uh, it, this is all pontification and looking into crystal balls here. But yeah, the Senate race is uh, as important as anything, just given that the, the balance of power, if it shifts, shifts the way of Democrats, both on the Senate side and on the presidential side, then you could be looking at a Democratic sweep and a whole, whole different situation here in Washington, D.C. for at least the next two years in a very, very dramatic fashion. What is less likely of the two things I'm about to mention? Trump wins the presidency, but Democrats overtake Senate, or Joe Biden wins presidency, Republicans keep Senate? I think it's the first and not the latter. You could have Joe Biden winning the presidency and the Republicans retaining the control of the Senate, which would be, you know, a very good situation for Republicans in the sense that they would have a massive, massive check on Democratic power. If the Democrats get everything, then you're going to be talking about all sorts of legislation and and laws and and movements that that just simply would not be in the cards if the Republicans have at least one of the three legislative slash executive awards, you know, if you will. Uh, and and you also have more races, too. The Republicans are running very competitively in the states that I just mentioned. And, and are, if they're even able to hold a couple of those, then they're going to have the Senate. And a Joe Biden presidency is going to look a heck of a lot different were Joe Biden to become president with a Republican Senate, uh, simply because the Republicans could just stop in its tracks so many of the things that Joe Biden would like to do and uh, and put forth in his agenda that he has for his presidency. 
Dave, two-part question for you. Uh, one concerning the debate uh, earlier in the week when Joe Biden made what many consider to be one of his gaffes when he talked about the oil industry and the president jumped on there quickly about you know, uh, changing it to other ways of uh, creating energy in states like Pennsylvania, Oklahoma, Texas, et cetera. Did you think that was a gaffe that would really hurt Biden? Do you, have you noticed anything since that time? And secondly, as to the president, he often talks about a message of law and order. But uh, according to the, your company at Business Insider, uh, he has not paid police bills sent to his campaign by two Wisconsin cities, and a third didn't even bother to bill him because the mayor said he knew Trump wouldn't pay. How much will that hurt him if that story, you know, gains traction? Sure. Well, Brenda, to your first question, uh, the issue of oil and, and fracking that was definitely part of the debate. In a way, that's kind of a regional concern that that's going to rise up on the level of issues that people care about, uh, depending on where you are. So if you live, for example, in Pennsylvania, fracking is a huge issue. Uh, the Marcellus Shale is a huge issue, and it relates to jobs. It relates to economic opportunities. So the notion that fracking would be banned is tantamount to jobs being lost. So that, that is a big issue that is going to be on a lot of people's minds in areas where fracking is a thing. Now, in plenty, part, plenty of uh, the parts of the country, fracking is not a thing. Uh, oil jobs are not a thing. Fossil fuels are, are not as big a deal. It's much more of a conceptual issue or an environmental issue writ large, and it would be something that is a pocketbook issue and really affects people directly in their homes, in their families. So, I wouldn't say that's a huge thing, even though it was a gap moment for Joe Biden. Could he have done something worse? Yeah, probably. And uh, so so that's one thing. Now, to the issue of law and order, this is something I've been reporting on for a long time. I mean, President Trump, uh, among all recent modern presidents, has, has been one of the strongest, most outspoken advocates for law and order, for supporting police officers and, and police all over the country. And uh, this has come at a time, of course, of uh, so social and civil unrest uh, all throughout the country this year on issues of race, racial justice and pre police brutality. So that Donald Trump is standing side by side with law enforcement in that regard and getting lots of endorsements, too, by police groups all over the country is quite notable. At the same time, too, his campaign has received a couple million dollars worth of bills from various communities all across the country, including ones relatively close to Buffalo, Erie, Pennsylvania, being one example, where he's come into town, he's had a big rally, and for reasons that uh, I could get into, but <laughs> it would take a while, uh, the Trump campaign just simply hasn't paid these bills because they're not required to do so. The Secret Service asked for lots and lots of help from the localities but they don't have the money appropriated by Congress to pay the municipalities back. So effectively what you got is a lot of cities saying, hey, we are struggling mightily. We, are, we have no money. We can't pay and balance our budget. So Trump campaign would be really great if you could help us out and you know, pay for the $100,000 in police overtime and whatnot so that we had to spend when you had a political rally for political gain. And the Trump campaign simply says, hey, that we're, we're not on the hook for that. And we're not going to volunteer the money. We just simply don't think we have to pay it. I should note, too, that in the past, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, they've paid some bills and not paid others, too. So this is not a Republican and a Democratic thing so much as it is just a personal preference and choice by different presidential campaigns as to how they handled it. In 2016, for example, Ted Cruz, he paid every last police bill that 
he got. And he's a, as Republican as a Republican can be. So it's definitely a mixed bag in terms of what people do and what presidential campaigns do. Dave, you know, I think I ask you this question every time we have you on because you're in D.C., you see this, you see the politicians. Uh, but, you know, we've talked with all three of our first guests today about how divided we are along political lines. And it's an election year and we will have an election. Do you see, you know, we saw the PSA in Utah where the two guys running for governor did a PSA together about, you know, coming together and all that stuff and a peaceful transition of power. Do you see after the election any of this division calming down between Democrats and Republicans? Immediately? No, not at all. If anything, it might get worse before it gets better. Now, I think a lot is going to depend on if Joe Biden, for example, becomes president, if he truly puts into action what he's been talking about rhetorically on the stump over the past couple of months, that, yes, he is a Democrat, but he'll be an American president. He'll be a president for all people. And he can say that, and that's great, and it sounds wonderful, but how is he going to put that into action. We don't we don't know yet. And if Donald Trump becomes president, uh, there's no real indication that he's going to start singing kumbaya with the Democrats and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. If anything, he's going to just continue to bludgeon them as much as he possibly can because he thinks that they're wrong and he thinks that that he's right. And that's the way that Donald Trump operates. And Again, there's no real indication that Donald Trump would suddenly uh, change the color of his feathers uh, just because he got a second term in office. Dave, it seems like uh, everyone is fair game, and certainly, you know, Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner are often in the news. But I noticed that there were some billboards taken out in Times Square uh, attacking them for their uh, views and statements about COVID. Are you familiar with that, and, and do you think that will have any impact? Yeah, I've seen that, and I've seen not only in New York City, but definitely in various swing states, all sorts of political advertising. It's so easy to advertise in in this day and age, and that goes back to a Supreme Court decision from about 10 years ago called Citizens United versus Federal Election Commission, which has made it just incredibly easy for Republicans and Democrats alike to raise unlimited amounts of money to basically do whatever they want to do to try to communicate a political message. Some people think that's great and that it just helps the First Amendment right that people have to disseminate political messages. And others think that uh, things have just gotten completely and utterly out of control in that regard. Not an issue that's going to be solved anytime soon if people think it's an issue at all in the first place. But yeah, the president's family uh, has become a massive issue in all of this. And so is Joe Biden's family, of course, too, with Hunter right. Biden and all the intrigue and whatnot surrounding that. So it's not as if Donald Trump and Joe Biden are just running against each other in, in many applications. It's the Biden family and the, and the Trump family running against each other. It's, it's very Game of Thrones-like. And I think a lot of people are unsettled by how much that's uh, bled into the decision to vote for one candidate or another. Uh, are you uh, able to watch the 60 Minutes interview or have you already seen it? I watched it last night, the one that was posted by the Trump campaign. I thought it would actually be far more contentious than it was. Have you seen it yet? Yeah, I've, I've seen the snippets. I haven't seen the full interview, and we will today uh, when it uh, comes out. And I think everyone who's seen snippets of it should wait for the, the full interview and, and its full flourish. And 60 Minutes, my understanding is, are going to post their full version of it uh, as opposed to the Trump version of it, too. So I think in, in any situation like this, uh, wait until you see the full thing and make your 
judgments and draw your conclusions from it. But I do know that a whole variety of issues uh, beyond just the intrigue and the uh, sniping back and forth there, COVID-19, the economy, jobs, healthcare, national security. I mean, these are all things that get discussed. So if you care about what the president has to say about some issues that are pretty critical to the decision that we have in front of us and are just very critical to life in America right now, that's probably a pretty good interview to watch. Dave, let me ask you, we talked about early voting. We've already got right here in Erie County, 15,000 people uh, have already voted early. Are you an early voter? Are you uh, one that gets to the polls early? I typically vote on Election Day. I've voted early a couple of times when I knew I wasn't going to be in town uh, for Election Day. And the thing is right now that so many states have not only given people options, but they've given them multiple, multiple options in this year of COVID-19. So here in Washington, D.C., you can practically vote any which way you could possibly want to. You can vote by mail. You can vote early. You can vote on Election Day. So it doesn't really necessarily matter how you vote as long as you do vote, uh, if if you believe that it's a civic responsibility to do so. And it's been one heck of a story this year to monitor how different states have handled this. You've had some states that, uh, like here in Washington, D.C. and various other places across the country, have made it about as easy as you possibly could make it for people to vote. And other states are a little more restrictive. I'm thinking of Mississippi being one of them, too. So it just really underscores that the uh, act of voting and the process of voting is not a nationalized thing at all. On the great contrary, it's a very local affair. And uh, different states have done probably a better job than others in terms of being able to give people uh, lots of different options to vote, especially when a lot of people, particularly older people, are uncomfortable perhaps about going physically uh, to the polls. And that's something that we've talked to lots of folks about. And I, I think one thing, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, is that most people do like having safe, good, viable options for them to do what uh, every person who's eligible to vote has a right to do, which is go and vote. Dave, you know, I, I used to be an anti-early voter. I used to always want to get to the poll on election day, make a big deal about it. And I hosted a post-debate show on Thursday into the early hours of the morning. And at 2.10 on Friday morning, Elaine from West Seneca called in and she said, well, what if I get sick? What if something happens and I can't get to the poll and vote on election day? And I said, Elaine, you've changed my thought process that I've had for all the 14 years I've been able to vote. So this year... I'm going to early vote and getting my flu shot on the same day. And, you know, I think uh, you and a lot of other people have put it in that that same kind of thought process. What if you do get sick? What if something uh, comes up that's an emergency and you can't go and vote on Election Day? I do like voting on Election Day. It is Election Day. There's a certain amount of pomp and circumstance to it. You go to the poll. I usually get up first thing in the morning and I'm there right at seven o'clock when the polls open. But also, too, I know full well that something could happen that day. So I have a mail-in ballot that I could drop off that day at the post box down the street from me if I wanted to and uh, do that in 30 seconds. But, you know, I do plan to to go and, and physically vote. And, you know, weather could always be a factor in Western New York, Dave, as, uh, as you certainly well know. Well, Dave, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, hopefully we will uh, be celebrating a Bill's victory the next time we talk to you. And uh, stay safe, and uh, we'll enjoy seeing your tweets on, uh, at Dave Leventhal on Twitter. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you, Bert.
Dave, thank you. The senior Washington reporter for Business Insider. Always a pleasure to have Dave on. Brenda, the show is all yours next week. Have fun. Thanks, Joe. Enjoy your week off, and we'll talk to you then. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in and texting and calling. Stay safe. You're listening to News Radio 930 WBEN. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 